Hi, guys. Hey, squad. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. I almost corrected you because we're recording on Friday. (laughs) You're like, bitch, it is Friday. (laughs) Well, I should make that clear because when we go into what we're going to talk about in a second, um, you'll need to know what day it is. So it's Friday that we're recording March 10th, but you are listening to this on Tuesday, March whatever else. Whatever day it is. So Paige is going to talk about something especially heinous. It's dark. It's disturbing. Paige, tell me about the Vanderpump Rules drama. Um, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for taking an interest in this because it has, it is similar to, I want to say it is the Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie is like trifecta of the Bravo world. That's how bad it oh my is. God. Yeah. <laughs> And I know we've all forgotten how bad that was because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's been forever, but it's, it was bad. All right. So I gave Brittany a background on what Vanderpump Rules is the other day, just so she understood like the origins of why the show even exists. <laughs> and spoiler alert, it's for no reason <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than that these people are as messy as the situation is. Um, but I'll give you an overview of what's going on. And like kind of the history of it. And then I'll give you some of the updates that are like that have just developed over the last week. Because this all started like Monday or Wednesday last week. And then it broke on like Friday of last week. Vanderpump Rules has been on since 2013. It began filming in the summer of 2012. So when it was airing, we were still, you and I were still in college. We were in, it was our senior year. Babies. I know, babies. Mm. But there was a character on the show, (laughs) a character but a, a real man named Tom Sandoval. And at the time, he was dating this girl named Kristen Doughty, or Doughty. Season two rolls around, and there's all these issues now with Kristen and Tom, and she's saying that he's been cheating on her with various women, but also this girl who is working at another restaurant that Lisa Vanderpump owns named Ariana Maddox. That's how, Kristen, that's how Ariana and Tom got together. They've been friends for a while working at the restaurant. They start dating in like probably, what was that, like summer 2013, I guess? And they've been together. But then in season three, there was this thing that popped up. Apparently, Tom made out with a girl or slept with a girl in Miami. None of us believed this. We were all like, this is just Kristen and this girl from this random girl who wants to be on the show concocting shit because Tom is so in love with Ariana. Fast forward to last week. So I believe it was Wednesday last week. Ariana and Tom were at a show of his for this band that he's in called The Most Extras. And something went on where either there's two versions of the story. One, he dropped his phone and Ariana picked it up and saw this video. Or secondly, Ariana picked up his phone and went through his phone. Um, I'm going to say that he dropped his phone and she picked it up and this video popped up because that's what I want to believe. But they're at this concert. She gets his phone somehow and she finds a video of this other girl named Raquel who's in the Vanderpump Rules sphere currently on the show, finger-fucking herself. And, like, apparently it was a FaceTime between her and Tom, the boyfriend. And um, it was a screen recording. And he recorded it? Well, okay. So that's that's another portion. So according to the version of events where Ariana found the phone, it was that Raquel had sent it to Tom and so then I guess, but then there's this other version of events where Ariana found it going through the phone, like, you know, going through Tom's stuff. And then she like saw it on his phone and then she found it, sends it to Raquel and goes, you're dead to me. So I oh, kind shit. of, 
I kind of believe the latter version wherein she might have gone through his phone. I mean, not because, I mean, why not at this point? Um, Because apparently when she got that text, when Raquel was sent that text, she was filming Watch What Happens Live uh, with Andy Cohen and this other girl from the show named Sheena, who's best friends with Ariana. And so on the while they were recording Watch What Happens Live, Andy asked for Kel and Sheena who the hottest Toms were. And there's two Toms. And there's there's this is why it gets messy. Oh my there's god. There's two Toms. So there's Tom Schwartz and Tom Sandoval. Tom Sandoval is the one at the center of all this. Uh so currently on the show, there's this whole storyline where Raquel is like starting to feel Tom Schwartz, the other Tom, who's Tom Sandoval's best friend. So that's happening on the show right now. And it's upsetting Tom Schwartz's ex-wife, Katie. And so that's a whole thing. So that's why. Yeah. So that's why this is like, I might have to edit these so that it makes more sense because I'm like, crap. This is why it's so, this is like so detailed. Um, So when Andy Cohen asked that question, I watched what happens live. Uh, Sheena says Tom Sandoval, and then Raquel says Tom Sandoval. And both Andy and Sheena look at her and go, wait, what? And she's like, well, Tom Sandoval has abs. And they're like, that's weird, though, because you're supposed to be, like, having a thing with Tom Schwartz. What the hell? So apparently that was very awkward. I didn't see that showing. So then after the Watch What Happens Live, apparently that is when Raquel got that text from Ariana and like saying you're dead to me and so then Sheena was like what the hell was going on and I, I guess Raquel like either came clean or Sheena or like maybe someone texted Sheena and she did the math but Sheena found out apparently in that moment and allegedly as of three days ago we all believe this punch Raquel in the face oh my god I know <laughs> as I would for you by the way if I was standing Thank with you. the girl if Tyler for some reason literally lost his goddamn mind why the- okay so this is like also crazy because then also Raquel, the whole reason Raquel is on the show was that she was dating this other guy who was really close friends with Tom Sandoval, uh, the one that's like in the middle of this, James. And they were together for like five years and they were engaged. And last season, so it would have been summer 2022. No, no, because that's what's happening now. Summer 2021, Sandoval helped um, James Kennedy plan and then paid for like something like 50% of this massive engagement that James had planned so that he could propose to it, uh, Raquel. How this all got started, like how Raquel and Sandoval even got together is back in June 2022, which it would have been, yeah, it should have been around that time. Apparently there was a rumor, well, there was a rumor that Raquel kissed Tom Schwartz. So everyone was like, what the hell? So that's why this whole Tom Schwartz thing is happening on the show currently. But now we're hearing sources that it was actually Tom Sandoval. And that was the original rumor. But then Tom Sandoval was like, oh, no, it was Schwartz. So apparently they started hooking up like at Coachella. And then throughout the year, like Raquel stayed with um, Tom and Ariana while she was like moving out of her apartment with James, her ex-fiance. And Ariana caught Tom coming out of Raquel's guest room at four in the morning. And he said he was just bringing her water. So like now these are all like, and I'm like, why did we know about these things sooner? But I guess it's because they just didn't, you know, like think anything of it. And then at BravoCon, Raquel was wearing, so Tom and Tom, the two Toms own a restaurant in um, LA called Tom Tom. And, oh. and, and another one called, I know, right? <laughs> another one <laughs> called. Oh my God. It's, it's, that one's like owned with Lisa Vanderpump. And then they have another one called Schwartz and Sandys. So Raquel was either wearing a Tom Tom or a Schwartz and Sandys sweatshirt 
to BravoCon, like one of the days. And everyone was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but sure, like showing support, I guess. And then for whatever reason, but now we know, Tom Sandoval dressed up as Raquel for like either Halloween or some part of BravoCon. And everyone was like, okay, that's kind of funny. <laughs> why? And now we know why. So it's just really, that's kind of like the long, and oh my God, the long and short of it. I've been talking for 12 minutes. Anyway, that's, those are the details. <laughs> Holy if there's shit. if there's anything that I made confusing or you have questions about, feel free to ask because I kind of like I was like there's so many like details you know that I'm like that that would things that make sense. But the main aside from the fact that it's shocking because Ariana and Tom have been together for like nine years at this point, and Ariana is like a very good friend of Raquel's. But, oh God! Right, and so and they like basically took her in because everyone in the cast hated Raquel, and I like stuck up for her. But like they would all call her stupid to her face and everything, and I always wonder why they all hated her so much. And now I'm like, we know. now we know there's got there had to have been some She's reason. Two timer, and because Three timer, it sounds like actually is Vanderpump Rules the most popular of of the Housewives spinoffs. I would say so. Yeah, it was failing pretty abysmally the last. Like since 2020, but yeah, it's probably the most popular, like historically. Oh, okay. Southern Charm became a thing because of Vanderpump Rules, and then um, Below Deck, similarly, Summer House. Summer House is probably the most useless <laughs> of all of them. <laughs> it's literally just like what we do in the summer with our friends. It's like they're like, we're going to get fucked up for the weekend, except for they summer all Summer like, House. Summer House. Ours would be more interesting. Someone give us a reality show. It's just me and Natty are single right now. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it'd be so boring. They'd be like, "Oh, so what are you and Tyler up to? What's the drama?" I'd be like, "Tyler told me he was going to cook the eggs, but now I'm cooking the eggs and I'm mad." And they'd be like, oh, "Okay, we're going to leave now." <laughs> they'd be like, "That's cool. Let's go That's check great. it on." Well, thank you for breaking that down for me. I think I just wanted to check on a few things. Ariana Ta- and Tom got together through cheating, right? Yes. Okay. Controversial. We didn't really believe we, I'm saying the fandom, I didn't really believe it at the time. I was like, because, okay, the the woman accusing them, Tom's ex-girlfriend, Kristen, now, I say this with love, but she's, she's so crazy. (laughs) That's kind of why no one believed her, because we were like, oh my god, you're just like, like starting, and we found out that Kristen slept with Jax, who was her best friend Stassi's ex-boyfriend, and also Tom's best friend at the time. Oh, okay. You can see why this show is successful. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is all this is all wild. It's just a mess. Oh, I guess my only other question was that was the entire I'm going to call it like a flirtation between Raquel and Tom Schwartz fabricated because it was really her and Tom Sandoval and fans were just kind of hearing she, she and and Tom Sandoval were kind of making it sound like it was happening with Tom Schwartz. So there's cover up. So Tom Sandoval said explicitly in his um, Instagram apology that didn't go over well because (laughs) (laughs) they never do. (laughs) He didn't mention Ariana at all. (laughs) I have to look this shit up. Is it like a black and white picture or a picture of him like walking away and the captions like taking some time to think about what really matters to me. Sorry for everyone I hurt. I'm just living, loving and learning like the rest of you. So. Part of parts of that, yes, it is on a notes app, but he started it with hey, and then he put I know you're you are. But yeah, he basically like shamed us all for coming after his businesses because like people went on Yelp and did that thing where they like they were he posting. claims he's a fucking scientist. Wait, what is this what? 
Okay. Yeah, if you go onto his Instagram, it says Thomas Sandoval, scientist. I, okay, hold on. That He has less followers than Thomas Schwartz. Just wanted to put that out there. What a ding-a-ling. He doesn't put scientist. I can't explain why. <laughs> I don't know he why. dishonored Ariana. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, so you'll notice there's two apologies because the first one didn't include Ariana. <laughs> I see that. Oh, my God. Well, it's all about his friend Schwartz. Yep. He's like, don't blame Schwartz. Schwartz didn't know. He only knew until like, he didn't know until like what you guys found out. And so everyone's calling bullshit on that. He name dropped his restaurant. Sorry. Oh, what yeah. A fucking asshole. Oh, we're all bad people for um, boycotting the restaurant. What's Raquel? Uh, now I'm going to Raquel's Instagram. Oh, she also has released two statements because no one liked the first one. Is she uh, Raquel Lavise? Yes. Oh, and I forgot to mention. So um, if you ever see anyone refer to her as Rachel, because that's her real name, apparently none of us knew this. Uh, Her real name is Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) So now everyone's going like, like, go away, Rachel. (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, this is embarrassing. I care for Tom and I don't want to label anything or predict what lies ahead. Honey, you guys are done. Well, and this is even weirder because... So they filmed a scene. Of course, as soon as this started happening, cameras went up. Bravo was like, get the fuck back out there and start filming. So everyone's filming now. So Tom went over to Raquel's to film a scene and apparently they kiss on camera. And I'm going to pass out when I see it because it's just going to be so much more real for me. And I'm like so angry. I'm so triggered by cheating, even though I've never been cheated on. It just sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, So she is now trying to spin this with her new PR team. That Tom recorded that video, like screen recorded it without her consent, and that they're trying to distribute it as revenge porn, which no one has, by the way. Ariana sent it back to her and said, fuck you. She had her new PR team or her lawyer send out cease and desist letters to the cast. Um, But yeah, so Raquel is not doing well. Oh, and then somehow TMZ, she probably released it. She took a restraining order out on the girl. She like allegedly hit her. But now that girl's legal team is saying, no, she didn't hit her. (laughs) So I'm like, what happened? What's going on? But now I don't believe Raquel because unfortunately you're a lying McLeoton lie face. Oh my God. I don't know why, but all I can hear hear is um, the room. I did not hit her. I did not. (laughs) Uh, uh, Hi, Raquel. (laughs) Oh, hi, Raquel. That would be, it would be she to be like, I did not hit her. I did not. (laughs) Oh, hi, Daryl. Oh, my gosh. I love mess. Me too. I know. Thank you so much for that very entertaining Bravo breakdown. Should we now talk about some more messy bitches? Yeah. This is a pretty messy. This is a a, messy episode. Pretty big messy episode. (laughs) This one wasn't super confusing except for like all the like everyone's job, but I'm chalking it up to no one was doing a real job. Yeah. No, everything was fake. Yeah. That's how (laughs) I'm kind of looking at it. And I'm like, yeah, I had all these questions and I'm like, you know what? I just feel like nothing was real looking back at it. Well, we are talking about season one, episode nine, Stocks and Bondage, original air date, November 29th. 1999. Ooh, the day before I had turned 10. And um, what is his name? The stepson from our Munch episode. Angry Ryan. Was that his name? Angry Justin. Angry Justin. Yeah. Happy birthday him. to Angry Justin. 1999. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this was directed by Constantine uh, Makris or Macris. He seems to be kind of a um, Law and Order favorite. He's directed a ton of episodes of all Law and Orders, like across the board. The victim's never credited, which is kind of weird. I mean, unless she was in the credits of the actual credits, and I just never watched. But my God, maybe they didn't use an actress. Maybe that was a dummy because it's pretty. This was graphic. This is probably the most graphic death of a victim we've seen thus far, next to the um, gunshot victim from stalked yeah that was pretty bad so we open on either a room in an apartment or a home benson and stabler have been called in and there is a woman named layla briggs found hanging from her bedpost i repeat like they show a full-on person hanging from a bedpost and she's got like looks like the victims of the girl from the ring oh yeah she's like super pale i mean she's dead so that's probably why she's super pale but she's got like Visible kind of cuts and shit, like not fresh cuts, but wounds on her back. It could be a dummy, actually, because like even the face, they switch around to her face and it looks like a blow up doll with her mouth open. Olivia takes a look at her from the front where there is a robe hanging over her body. So Olivia is seeing her naked and we're just seeing her from the back. And Olivia says, is there anything she didn't pierce? Basically implying that her bottom half is covered in piercings. In addition to the piercing, she's got scars all over her body, like healed scars, and they appear to be, oh, and um, burn marks, apparently, and they appear to be self-inflicted. Elliot asks, like, why they're there. Um, Is there a reason to believe this wasn't a suicide? And the Emmy on duty says they thought Layla took her own life at first, and then they noticed that the robe she was wearing appears to have been put on her body post-mortem, like kind of her arms are folded and the robe is kind of like tucked around that it seems like um so it it looks as though someone redressed her after she passed yeah and olivia goes oh wait was the robe was open when we got here like how did you know that and they're like uh well we had to investigate because we thought it was suicide and then they get all mad at them and i'm like but yeah like i they're just operating i mean they they even like talk shit about this me to craigan and i'm like they honestly didn't know it was a it was a murder right away. They were just kind of operating. They're right. medical examiners, not just medical examiners, but you know what I mean? They're, they're there to do their job. And as soon as they thought it might be something else, they called them in. They did their best. Well, it's like, why did you get mad at the homicide detectives when they show up? I guess, I don't know. It's like no one's allowed to touch them until <laughs> Olivia and Ellie get there, maybe. In this episode, honestly, yes. I feel like they didn't disturb the scene that much. No, they opened a row because they had to check to see what was going on. They were being perverts, which is kind of how it yeah. feels. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> now we're in the bullpen. And um, because of the sadomasochism of the crime scene, it would appear, uh, they're talking about how no one gets it. Like Cassidy's like, oh, I don't get it. Hurt me and it turns me on. Blah. And then they set their <laughs> sights on Stabler, who his, the sleeve of his shirt is rolled up and it reveals his tattoo. And they're like, oh, tattoos. That's the gateway into sadomasochism. <laughs> It's a marine tattoo. It's not even a funny yes. joke. I am so annoyed. I swear I have like things written down and they're gone. And I'm like, because I had a note that was like, yeah, Stabler's marine tattoo. I guess. When did he have time to be in the Marines? When Kath- Kathy was pregnant with Maureen. I guess so. He was only in the Marines for like a month. You know what? Sometimes that happens. 
But yeah, so they give him a like, they're like, (laughs) and so Benson's actually working, hanging something up on the bulletin (laughs) board. And Cragen walks in and he asks her about Layla's cause of death. And she tells him that because the body had so many irregularities, that word comes up, I cannot tell you how many times, irregularities. It just does. Like this, this screenwriter did that a couple times. He would just like use a word 50 times throughout the script. And irregularities is one of them. I hate it. As a as a former writer who gave up, do better. <laughs> so because of the irregularities, the Emmy is going to, sex crimes Emmy is what I wrote, is going to take a closer look. Because apparently the Emmys on scene were not good enough for them. I know. Fucking snobby. And they mentioned that Layla had several self-inflicted wounds and was pierced from head to toe. Uh, so that it's possible that Layla was into S&M versus, you know. Cragen seems really jarred by this because Layla was also... I wrote, also a financial analyst or whatever. And Munch says it's not that weird because finance people are low-key controlling sex freaks. I'm going to take a picture of my notes and send them to you because it's basically verbatim what she just said. (laughs) So here, I'm going to do that and I'll send it to you after. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Do you know why? I'm reading your notes. Oh! I was like, these notes aren't my notes. Oh, my freaking God. I was like, I did not write this. Also, I was like, I don't remember being that funny. Oh, my God. Jeez. I was like, oh, Oh, my God. Well, you can if you want. Jeez. Last modified by me. I hope I didn't edit your notes because. It's okay. That's so funny. Oh, my God. And I wasn't even being sarcastic. I was like, wow, that's so funny. We were on the same I was like, oh, that's so... They look enough like my notes that I was just like, oh my gosh. Now I'm like, where? So Craig Craig tells Liv and Elle uh, to go talk to Leva's family, and Munch and Cassidy are sent to go find out where she worked. Dun-dun. Anne Briggs. I felt so many feelings about Anne Briggs, because on my first watch, I was like, oh, Anne, like, my heart was breaking. I teared up a little. And on my second watch, I was kind of like, fuck you, Anne. That's so funny. I felt the same way. She's very kind of mousy and I think that's supposed to kind of give the audience a contradiction between this mousy devote like devoted mother and then her kind of quote-unquote wild child's daughter Layla I feel bad for her but she is also kind of annoying and she kind of fucked up their investigation a little bit a little bit I know they were not mad at her but (laughs) um so they're they're at Layla's mother's house and of course you know Anne's all depressed she's disturbed uh, she asks what SVU means, and Olivia's basically like, we investigate sexually based offenses that are considered especially heinous. Anne asks what happened to Layla, and Benson says they're hoping that she can tell them. She knew Layla better than anyone, and then Stabler kind of asks her about the piercings and the scars. I would ask more. I mean, I guess the piercings are so severe that they need to ask about them, but I'd be like, yeah, let's uh, the scars are a little more concerning than the piercing. Yes. Anne kind of says that she didn't know Layla like that. Like she never knew aspects of her life in that. It's like she seems to know that it's happening, but she's like, yeah, we didn't talk about stuff like that. I guess Layla's dad passed when she was 15 and they've kind of drift ap- drifted apart ever since then. Yeah, but that last week when she spoke to her, she was upbeat and chipper and excited about how her job was going. So, oh, here we go. Okay, yeah. And so Anne mentions a time uh, back when Layla was a sophomore in high school. This is where one of my first issues with Anne, she seems to walk into rooms when she's not invited. Yeah. But she walked in on Layla um, after she had gotten done showering and she saw that Layla had both of her nipples pierced, which by the way, Layla, damn. 
because... Damn, in 10th grade? Right. 10th grade and also most people I know only have one nipple pierced because that's how fucking painful it is. They can't go back and get the second one done. And then so she said she never made a big deal about the piercing incident because she didn't want Layla to like feel the need to rebel any more than she already, you know, like just kind of let it. And Stabler <laughs> goes, you do what you can. You can't stop your child from doing what they're going to do. Okay, mister, you're grounded <laughs> till you're 80 yeah. years old. <laughs> Where's this enlightened fucker been this whole time? And we'll never see him again. <laughs> yeah, goodbye, enlightened fucker. This part was sad, though, because Anne basically had been saying she just didn't want bad things to happen to Layla. And then she starts to cry and she's like, I guess nothing worse can happen to her now. And then she kind of picks up this picture of Layla as a child and is kind of just looking at it sadly. Yeah, that was why. That was where I was like, aww. da Martin Global, <laughs> this fucking place. <laughs> <laughs> the most toxic work environment we've ever heard of. I'm just picturing I, a bunch of fucking toddlers sitting behind desks, just smacking at the keyboard. Just throwing cash around and saying like buzzwords. <laughs> That's literally how once we, the whole episode's over. I'm like, so this place was fucking nothing. It was just fuck shit. It was literally just fuck shit conglomerate. Fuck shit global. Oh. This woman, Amy, is walking Munch and Cassidy through through the halls of this stupid office. And she's explaining that Layla was the alpha analyst. I'm like. That's not a fucking title. I'm already bored. Ew. I would never apply to a job that said alpha anything. You know that's a red flag right there. It's like senior or director or manager. Alpha. Amy says a whole bunch of words, and I was feeling bad because I had no frickin' clue what she was saying. Then Cassidy <laughs> all of a sudden saves me, and he's like, listen, we aren't economics majors. It's <laughs> like, me either, buddy. Thank you. And then, yeah, Amy goes on to explain that what Alpha Analyst for Derivative Financial Interest means is that Layla's job was to, like, advise and then subsequently invest the funds that insurance companies received from premiums that were paid off or collected. Layla was in charge of like distributing the leftover funds around. <laughs> and I was just So she explains that um Layla handled cash flow in the billions, which her apartment seemed kind of shitty for how rich this chick was supposed to be. Oh, I'm shocked you said that because when we go back to it to talk to her mom, I thought, damn. That just looked a little raggedy considering that she was supposedly like a millionaire. Well, it's not, Bernie. It's not raggedy. <laughs> <laughs> so Munch asks if this made Layla any em- enemies and Amy says no. And then Cassidy inquires about Layla's state of mind. And like her mother, Amy says she seemed fine. Then Munch asks what her role is. And she is the office manager and her boyfriend is Mr. Martin, the owner of the company. I was like, you call your boyfriend Mr.? This doesn't really ever come up again. She's like, yeah, my boyfriend. And then we're kind of like, all right. It's sort of like if I just like looked at a guy, I was like, that's my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) My boyfriend. Start calling my boss my boyfriend. They ask if Layla worked closely with anyone in the office or in her department. And Amy tells them that she worked with the head of finance, Sholing Fu. And she doesn't want to give them Sholing's number because um, incoming calls distract from the work at hand. Why can't anyone ever take murder investigations seriously. They're police officers. Right. It's, it's not like they're calling to be like, hey, girl, what's going on? Yeah. Do you want to talk about Vanderpump rules? They're, they're fucking calling to be like, ding dong, your 
subordinates dead, can we get some information? Yeah. It's, it's, I wrote in my notes, everyone needs to get a grip. <laughs> Just get a grip, please. Are people in real life this unconcerned in a murder investigation? So much to back us up goes in their line of work. They frown on obstruction of justice. And Amy's just kind of like, (laughs) 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 so we're at the Emmy's office uh, and she's in a bad mood again. She's being a fucking dick. (laughs) Go away. Where's Tamara Tooney? Layla's uh, cause of death was asphyxiation from the belt. I wrote the belt or something, but I think it was the belt um, tied around her neck. And Stabler asks if the Emmy thinks this was a homicide or a suicide. And she like kind of goes like, I'm waiting for you guys to give me more information before I determine that. Almost like they skipped a step. She's the worst. That's why she gets fired and they hire someone else. Yeah, thank God. So Olivia jumps in because Stabler kind of looks at her like, what the hell? And Olivia's like, okay, was she sexually assaulted? Because that's what we do here, ma'am. So the Emmy says that Layla showed signs of penetration, but there weren't any fluids. Um, she also notes that Layla had ugh, scarring and sexual injury done to her body that would, quote, end quote from the show, send someone to prison for years, except for the fact that it appears that it was self-inflicted. That's <laughs> gruesome. <laughs> like, truly gruesome. Oh, I could never do that to myself. No. I'll just hurt myself emotionally. Stabler asks if it could have been autoerotic asphyxiation, and the bitch Emmy says possibly. However, the robe she was wearing is clean, meaning someone most likely dressed her post-mortem. And they kind of talk about how since there aren't any fluids anywhere, it's she was wearing something else when she passed. So Stabler wonders, because of the way she was dressed, if the killer was remorseful, and the Emmy suggests a family member. Who died made her a detective? Dun-dun! Layla's apartment. So Layla's mom, Anne, is now at this shitty, shitty apartment packing up. <laughs> it's garbage and I hate it. <laughs> uh, but Anne is there packing up Layla's things. Olivia asks Anne if she was aware of Layla's sexual experimentation. And she says that it's possible, based on this, uh, or their findings at least, that Layla might have killed herself by accident. So it wouldn't have been a suicide or a murder. So if this were me, I would have flat out been like, did you touch your daughter's body? Like, because someone touched it. Stabler's like, just help us figure out what happened that night. And that's like enough to get her to like, come clean. She's Open like, up. so Anne says that that night she was bringing Layla a cake and she intended just to drop it off and leave. So then for some reason, she goes into Layla's bedroom and that's when she finds her hanging there as per the opening scene. But like, why were you bringing the cake into her bedroom? Like Olivia accused Richard White last episode, Anne's a nosy Parker. I didn't know her like that. I never asked her details, but you're going to walk into her room while she's showering and you're going to walk into her room and bring her a cake when you know cakes go in the fridge. Look at her nipples while she's showering. Yeah. And it was the mom. Okay, it wasn't the mom, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Paige sniffed around and though she is disturbed, incest is not in the air this episode. Detective Porter's in the background like, what is this, a whip? (laughs) Oh, we'll be getting to that. You're taking things out of the box that she just packed up and you're like, see, to make sure there's nothing in here I want. (laughs) No toys. Not those kinds of toys. Anne says, you know, she found Layla in her really disturbing state. And so it seems like she kind of had a feeling it was like maybe accidental death or suicide. um, Because she says she wanted to call her minister. (laughs) 
Not the cops. Um, But then she decided that she couldn't let the minister see Layla like that or he might not perform a service for Layla's funeral. Which is so shitty. Why wouldn't you want to instantly call the police? Like, if I walked in on anyone in my family. And the police just generally need to be involved in something like that, unfortunately. Layla was wearing this leather outfit. She's like, she had like leather, latex all over. So her mom took all the, took all that off of her, put the robe on her instead. And Olivia's like, okay, uh, where did you put the leather outfit? And the mom's like, I threw it out. I threw it out in a dumpster behind the building. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, they let this go. Do you think they always knew that Anne called the cops? They just didn't know that she touched the body? That's a good question. I, I feel like... They learn right there that it was Anne that called it in, but they suspected earlier than that. But it's interesting that earlier, like at the very beginning, they weren't like, oh, who called this in? Right. Because they didn't say like neighbors heard screaming, you know, like, so anyway, dun, dun. So now we're at the forensics office. Uh, so Samaru, the re- forensics tech, um, has the outfit that Layla was wearing and it's laid out in front of them. It looks pretty clean, actually. <laughs> it looks kind of brand like a new. little leather bikini laid out with a mask. And a flogger. And so he says he found traces of um, men's fluids and women's fluids, um, I think, on and outside of it. So it's kind of covered in fluids. Yeah, just just some fluids. He sent out the DNA for testing. Benson and Stabler start debating if they were potentially having rough sex and it went too far. And then the scene was or if the scene was staged to look that way. So Olivia makes a couple of jokes. She's like, oh, so the whipping boy got carried away and the whipper boiled over. And Samuru says that, in fact, the whip was clean and didn't have any <laughs> epidermal traces and or, quote, skin from users on it. So no one got hit with the whip because there was no skin on it. Yeah, guys, we're back to making jokes about the victims. Yeah. Not us, the, the, the esteemed detectives who are investigating their, this vicious felony. Because, again, this woman was having weird sex um, of her own accord, so we don't have to, like, show 100% respect for her. Exactly. Yeah, they can talk shit about her. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then while they're holding the whip, um, it starts to rattle. Like, or he says it rattles, but there's, like, something inside going, like, ching, ching, ching. So... <laughs> So Stabler's like, open it up. And Samuru opens the whip up. And it's like kind of like a twist off cap, honestly. <laughs> he like twists <laughs> it off. Like it's like you've done this before. Um, and there's a small compartment inside. As they're doing this, the music starts. It's like the wah. I tried to find a sample online, but the only thing anyone's ever uploaded to YouTube is like the theme song. There's an hour long loop of the theme songs on YouTube. I, I might post a like a club sometime. So I think I'm like, based on how creepy this music is, I thought he was going to dump out a bunch of teeth, but it's just a bunch of diamonds. Like big ones. So IMDB. So when I first saw the, the instrument, I was like, is that called a flogger? And then I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what this shit is. And then they called it a whip. I'm like, oh, it was a whip. And then I go on IMDB and they're like, they incorrectly refer to the flogger as a whip. So I was like, well, I guess I, I know things. I don't know why I know that. Dun dun bullpen. Benson and Stabler debrief the squad and what they found out at the Emmys. Uh, Stabler says that the diamonds that they found in the whip totaled up to half a million dollars. I forgot how you write numbers out. So I literally put one half a million and then I put the dollar symbol. Oh, I wrote it out like in letters, like half a million. Stabler hands Cragen Layla's credit card statements and it appears that she frequented several sex shops. 
So Kragen hands Cassidy the folder and tells him, and I assume Munch, uh, to go check out the sex shops. And this feels like a mistake. It's what I wrote. And Kragen uh, tells Benson and Stabler to go down to the Diamond District and show Layla's photo around. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. They go to A de Restraint, which is a sex shop. The store clerk says she had seen Layla, but for obvious reasons, they try to be discreet about their clientele. Cassidy is into this chick. He is like making his voice huskier when he's talking to her. He's doing this kind of weird thing with his face. He's like, oh, yeah, no, the weird thing with the face. I Brittany is not even exaggerating his face. It's just like this look. It's this like look. Blue steel her. He's like, it is so predatory <laughs> that like it's and, and, and everyone I think has been in a situation, male, female, non-binary, where someone's just eyeballing you sexually and it's like the energy at the end she kind of seems into it but not at the beginning when they're kind of regaling her with the details of this crime which i'm not gonna lie that was the journey i took too like i was disgusted by this when it first started (laughs) but then at the end like if you looked at me like that i'd be like all right munch kind of breaks into this i fuck fest and asks (laughs) her about her sense of layla and she says she seems shy a first timer called her a yuppie with a wild streak, which why? But OK. So then she asked Cassidy, like, why? Why are you asking about this woman? And Cassidy says they found her dead, trussed up like a latex turkey. The tact on this one. Eh. Bro. Like. And he's and he is talking to her, saying those things like he's seducing her. But it's but it's disturbing. He's like trussed up like a latex turkey. And this chick's like, what the fuck? This reminds me of the time when a guy was hitting on me at a bar and I told him, this was many years ago, guys, that I was writing a screenplay for a screenwriting class that was like loosely based on the Casey Anthony story. And he stops me and goes, but Casey Anthony was so hot. Right. Right. And so that's what I did. I kind of looked at him and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go. And he's like, oh, come on. Seriously? I was like, yeah, seriously. First of all, she's only Florida hot. Thank you, Just to say- Thank you. See, that was there were two reasons why I was upset by that, because I'm so tired of people <laughs> telling me that they think Casey Anthony's hot. It's like for two reasons. One, she killed her child. Two, she's yes. Florida hot. So like, stop it. Let's not. Do we have to say allegedly? I don't know. No, fine. I, I, allegedly. I mean this for legal. legal no, purposes. you're right. You're right. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly killed Although, her daughter. I think it'd be great for our profile if we got sued by Casey Anthony. <laughs> oh, you're right. Actually, I'm, I'm retracting the allegedly. No, allegedly. I know you were proven innocent. <laughs> But yeah, so that happened. That happened to me. Um, the girl says she's kind of shocked and she goes, oh, like, which is what I would do, I guess, if I thought the cops were coming over here to be like, hey, you sold her like sex gear. But she said they discussed safe words, safe play, other safe sex things when Layla came in. So Cassidy is like oozing, oozing, oozing. And he goes, guess that lesson didn't stick so well, did it? The fucking face he is continuing to make at her where... For, for Munch is just trying to be the consummate professional and he's like it's very kind of him to not comment on how stupid his partner is being he just kind of like is ignoring it and asks the clerk if she knew any of her partners and um she said that Layla one time came in with her boss's girlfriend and they're like oh they're a redhead and she goes hmm, no a brunette so they're like oh we must have met a different girlfriend we never hear about this brunette again Cassidy just continues to grin at her until they leave. But she does kind of smile back, so I do think she's into it. Munch walks out of the frame and Cassie's giving her like one last look and she starts to give him a look back like and I've <laughs> I'm familiar with this look, the one where you're starting to go like, okay. 
And right as that happens, you just see Munch's hand come in and like gridge finger Cassidy (laughs) (laughs) and like guide him away. (laughs) Dun dun. We're at Shaked or Shacked Diamonds. uh, And Olivia and Elliot are there and they're talking to the owner of the store. It's like a diamond showroom. And they show them Layla's, they show him Layla's picture. And he says he's never seen her before. So Stabler tells him about Layla's stash of um, half a million dollars worth of diamonds. And the owner says that only crooks and like professional diamond scumbags would ever carry that amount of diamonds around on their person. Also, he would never sell anyone that amount of diamonds or that totals worth of diamonds um, if he didn't know them very well, because like, it's bad for your reputation. And they're like, why? And I guess it's because like the diamond industry is so scummy that if you sell to one like kind of sketchy person all the other sketchy people come looking for you benson and stapler ask if there is a less scrupulous seller out there and he says yes um one man that he knows of and he'll sell to anybody and his day his name is david McEwen. coincidentally he works in the same building so all they have to do is go upstairs to talk to this guy yeah thank god which i was feeling bad for them because they run around a lot in this one day (laughs) they go up and down a lot Dun dun. So we're in the same building, but we're in Mr. McEwen's office now, too. Um, And he does remember Layla. She was a, quote, big buyer. And she came in about two weeks ago. They tell him she's dead. And he actually does look kind of like, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, he actually has an... They go pretty hard on this guy. They're like, oh, Mr. Inscrupulous. Oh, you're shady. He has one of the most normal reactions to everything than anyone else in this whole fucking episode besides the nice clerk from the sex store. We know from the other guy that it is shady, but he's kind of talking like he's selling oranges. He goes, oh yeah, she ordered a bunch. Like, So apparently uh, when Layla came in two weeks ago, she wanted to spend $10 million, buy $10 million worth of diamonds, but he only had $9 million worth because he couldn't get $10 million worth in time. Uh, and Layla told him that she needed the diamonds for work. He he said, high finance. Does I don't understand it. I'm like, me either, buddy. But Stabler's like kind of razzing and being like, oh, you don't ask any questions when you have a big paycheck coming. It's like, no. Why should he? Why should he? Yeah, this dumb. Well, anyway, McEwen repeats that Layla was buying it for work and she even paid with a corporate check. And so Olivia's like, can we get a copy of that check? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get you a copy of that check. And then she and Elliot start to write an album of whisper songs right there. Yeah, they're like, psh, psh, psh. maybe Layla is trying to rip off her company. Psh, psh, psh. Yeah, maybe someone found out and that's why she's dead. So then he comes, McEwen comes back with a copy of the check and it was signed by the aforementioned head of global, head of finance for Martin Global, Sholing Fu. Uh, they ask him to let them know if anyone comes in trying to fence these same diamonds. And they're kind of dicks about it. They're like, you let us know, won't you? And, and he's like, he's yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck you guys. <laughs> dun dun. Now we're in Sholing Fu's office. So she's like so fucking rude. <laughs> oh, we were talking earlier about people who, how Amy had no time for them. Sholing Fu has even less time for them. She is gorgeous, by the way, but has a stank tude. Yeah, she's stupidly pretty. And for that reason, I guess she's also very rude because she just doesn't seem to give a shit. She's so busy. And her coworker died. So busy that she doesn't remember signing a check for $9 million specifically for diamonds. But it's because she signs checks like that for that amount of money for like various exotic things all the time. Several times a week. Oh, yeah. They tell her about the diamonds and she's like, well, okay, sometimes I deal in actual assets. And then Olivia asks where the diamonds are because like 
Loki, they have them and she wants to see what she'll say. And she kind of snottily says, how should I know? <laughs> She's like the least fucking helpful person ever. She says it like Maureen, Olivia- too. She's like Maureen. Oh, yeah. She's like, how should I know? And Olivia's like, because you deal in finances. And Stabler chimes in, once again, being very reasonable this episode. And he's like, and we're investigating a murder. So finally, they're like, we're going to take this right to the fucking top. Where's Mr. Martin's office? And then she goes down the hall. Door is marked. But she doesn't tell them it's left or right, which I thought was really annoying. <laughs> like, she's, she's literally the fucking worst. How embarrassing is it going to be for them to like walk out and they go left, but it's really right? These people are monsters. Dun dun. So they find Martin's office. Um, some guy is in there. He's like really dressed down. He looks like a computer nerd, like, like an IT guy. It's apparently he's working on a computer, but that thing is so fucking old that I couldn't even tell you. It looked like roadkill. Before it is stated to be a computer, I was like, so he's working with some contraption. And then I felt embarrassed when it was revealed to be a computer. I was like, oh, I know what computers are. Yeah, we know the type that this is like crazy looking. Like, I'm so sorry you guys had to work on these at one point. That's like, that looks like torture. That's like a medieval torture device. They walk in, they're looking for Mr. Martin, and he's like, who are you? But then he kind of apologizes when they're like, we're the police. He's like, oh, sorry about that. But then he launches into this, anyone write it down, this massive, boring ass oh. explanation about, so they figure out he's, Frank Martin, the owner of the company, but he just like for like a good solid two minutes just talks about himself and how he founded the company and what he does. Brittany and I are looking at each other like really annoyed, rolling our eyes. And that's exactly what Stabler and Benson are doing while this is happening, too. He talks like straight mumbo jumbo for like a full two minutes. Yeah. And they're looking at each other like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like, and that's like literally how it felt, because it's like, I'm sorry, the cops walk into your office and you start just like bragging about yourself. What the hell's wrong with you? Like we said, Stabler is really annoyed. He's like, okay, that's great. Like, literally, Frank Martin has been talking for, like, minutes on end. Feels feels like hours. Like, a huge diatribe. And Stabler goes, yep, that's great. How long has Layla Briggs worked here? They, and we're all kind of like, yeah, literally, we did not fucking ask. Um, and so Martin says a few years, so like two-ish years. And Stabler asks if Martin knew anything about Layla's personal life. And Martin responds, do you mean the sex stuff? <laughs> It's a nightmare. Then he says her predilections. Her predilections were well known, but she kept her sex life out of the office. What? Right. What? Yeah. They, you. If they're well known, they are not out of the office. Literally, exactly what, what I wrote in my fuck? notes. If if you guys know about it, then it's not being kept out of the office. So what the fuck? Would have been my first question. And I think they could have solved the crime right there. Because Detectives Porter and Agrella did as soon as we heard that. Maybe he's like referring to the fact that maybe she doesn't physically do this act in the office. But bro. Uh, well, well, I'm glad. you all fucking know this, it's in the office. So they asked him if he had any issues with Layla when it came to theft. Um, and this is like kind of directly related to the fact that she was buying sex gear with the corporate credit cards. So they didn't mention that earlier. But... They pulled her corporate credit card statements, too, and, like, she was purchasing all that sex gear on her corporate cards. They say she spent thousands of dollars. Do you... Thousands of dollars on this sex gear. Like, how much lube are you... I mean, like, do you need an outfit for every day? That's a thousand outfits. I don't spend thousands of dollars on any hobby. I mean, I'm sure over like time. Maybe cumul- yeah, cumulatively, but she's only been there a couple of years, right? I mean, if one considers binge drinking a hobby, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. 
And I do. But yeah, she's only been there for about two years. So again, I'm saying that because this comes up with someone else too. So Martin shrugs this off, another red flag in my opinion, and he says he doesn't see it as an issue and he doesn't see the difference between paying for someone's corporate golf membership and paying for her sex habit. Let's just let that sit for a moment. Yeah, let's just sit here and have a moment of silence for that logic. And Detectives Porter and Negrell are in the back going, hey, excuse me. Excuse me. This did guy did this? it. Yeah, this guy did, did it. Did you do this because you're being really weird and you're saying a lot of shit that doesn't make sense. In fact, nothing you fucking said has made any sense. The, no, nothing, no one in this office makes any sense. They can't explain their jobs to us. And now you're thinking it's not weird. Okay, so I said these people are stupid. <laughs> in my notes, I wrote these people are stupid. I'm so, so annoyed. Stabler tells Martin about the $9 million diamond purchase, and Martin shrugs that off, too, and he says that it was an investment because they anticipated the diamond sales increasing due to Y2K panic. <laughs> this script is God. drunk. <laughs> More economy bullshit. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, like, why would the diamonds... Uh, I thought it was common knowledge that diamonds actually aren't a great investment, because there are so many in the world, and at any time, someone could, like, flood the market, and that all be worthless like they're very well known at this point in time as being like criminally overpriced and i say this as someone with a rock on her finger but who knows i don't so they ask if it was common knowledge that layla was carrying the diamonds he says it was in the financial records so anyone who knew how to read those would know everyone in the office and on the board of their endowment receives this weekly report I guess. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, what charity? You know? And he says, oh, we have a charity. I just feel like they, he, this guy talked himself into mess, you know? So this is where I get very confused. New Vision is their endowment, correct? Yeah. So New Vision Endowment is this, it's a nonprofit. So it's a charity that, that Martin Global is... I want to say donating is the word because I don't think you can, like, what else can you call money going to a nonprofit? So an endowment and a nonprofit are two different things. Okay. So So the endowment is basically like the money. Dun dun. Uh, We go to, I think we explained um, that he was like, oh yeah, our charity is, I think you did say that, is a nonprofit that... Basically, they they give money to or something, and Brittany's going to explain that to me. Um, but this nonprofit raises money for children who need glasses and school books. Such a random combination. Yeah. Uh, so done, done. We got a new vision endowment, um, which I thought was a charity. But so they're talking to the president or whatever. His name's David Kelp, and he explains that Layla was helping. New Vision Endowment managed the funds they received from the Martin Global Endowment. So Layla would make exotic investments on behalf of New Vision, and um, they would see a huge return when they did. So how I heard this as a, as a person who doesn't work in the field is this is a charity. Martin Global partnered, quote, with the charity and was giving them money and what they didn't use towards their charitable interest, which is from my understanding, the whole point of having an NPO, they would take the rest of the money and invest it somewhere else. But isn't that supposed to be going to operational costs? I don't really understand their system because they kind of use the word endowment and nonprofit interchangeably. And if you have an endowment, you basically like sit on all this money and then you give out the money 
two nonprofits who basically do what you're interested in. So allegedly this new vision endowment is interested in giving kids books and glasses. The way this should be set up is that they give money to nonprofits who are out there, boots on the ground, getting books and glasses. But the, okay, they, they first make this new vision endowment sound like it's part of global, but then they're like, no, no, no. It's all very confusing, and I think it's meant to be. Yeah, no. I Okay, so you explaining it actually makes more sense. I think it is just supposed to be an endowment with interests in like, you know, books and books and eyes, but they keep calling it a charity, which made me think it was like ASPCA. Oh, I was just reading. So in simple terms, an endowment is a fund with money in it set up to provide long-term support for a particular nonprofit organization or cause. Since the goal is long-term support, the organization or cause doesn't get all the money at once, is made available to them a little at a time. Okay, so if you and I had an endowment for like hosts and bunnies, um, we would go to Layla and say, hey, we need some money for the hosts and bunnies this month, but then we're going to have money left over that you can invest in illegal diamond trade. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, in layman's terms. <laughs> dun dun. So we're at Martin's office again, and they're asking about the diamonds, I think. They think it's weird that Martin doesn't think it's weird that Layla had like 0.5 million dollars worth of diamonds on her person. Uh, and Martin basically says that he doesn't think Layla would steal. Then they ask him if um about his work relationship with Layla. He says it was fine. Was it ever sexual? No, no, it was not. Uh, and they ask him if he knew who she was dating, and he says that he didn't know, and they think that's weird, but I don't think that's weird. I only think it's weird because he seemed to know everything else. That's true. <laughs> there In we go. In a normal workplace, I'd say that is normal, but... That's very true. He seems to know everything else. See, this is why you need two people in a case, because then you get one person going, uh, that would be an HR infraction. It's like, yeah, but you know you know about the sex stuff. Jeez. <laughs> oh, good point. Done, done. Done, done. We are back at the station, and Kraken's doing his, where are we on the Layla Briggs case? Because that's what he's good for. And Stabler says it's kind of weird. She bought the kinky stuff with her company credit card and everyone in the office seems to know about it. Yes, Stabler, that is fucking weird. Benson says, on the other hand, she was a financial whiz and mentions she calls it the charity organization endowment, whatever. Cregan says to look at the nonprofit's information. Yeah. <laughs> now we're calling it a nonprofit again. That's what I mean. He go <sighs> And he basically says that charities are always shady. And they kind of look at him. Now we know that Craig, and much like with Campus Securities, he's got like weird trauma around charities. Dun dun. So now we're back in New Vision Endowment. Stabler and Benson are back there and they're pissed. And they throw a folder on David Kelp, the director's desk. And he's like, what is that? Uh, and it's apparently New Vision's Endowment's financial records. And of the 18 million they received or like accumulated from, again, no clue who, only 1 million of it went to charity. Uh, so 1 million of it actually went to people who need eyeballs and books. So he says they're reading it wrong and that he presents another report. And Stabler's like, whatever. They went to the bank and the there is no account and they've never heard of David. So Olivia starts outlining what they think happened. Layla and David had this scheme. Layla embezzles the money for them. And then they get and then she gets greedy. He claims he did not murder Layla, but he did know about these financial irregularities. Irregularities. 
but he was not benefiting from them. But he goes, shuts the door, and then he says that he knew Layla from, basically, he said that they had similar compulsions. And then he rolls up the sleeve of one of his, um, he rolls up the arm of the sleeve of his shirt, and it reveals, like, just a series of burn marks um, all over his arm. And he said that he met Layla on the S&M circuit, and that she knew him at one time as the human ashtray. Ugh. I know. Sorry, that, that phrase makes my blood curdle. And it's a, it sounds like something he was calling himself, but they apparently Layla threatened to expose David Kelp to the charity nonprofit MPO world if she didn't help him with this embezzlement. So I wrote that I wondered if like they met on the circuit and then she knew he had a charity and she decided to like threaten him as a result so that she could start doing these like illegal dealings um, on behalf of Martin Global. Or if like that's what it sounds like, but we all put a pin in that because I have a thought. Thought, yeah. Because I'm like, how did he even? Because it's I, I know that she's. Or I was like, did they meet on the circuit? Go, hey, you're a nonprofit. I'm like a financial analyst. We could help each other. And then like after they partnered, she decided to be like, I'm not going to burn your arms anymore if you don't help me embezzle things. So Stabler asks about this circuit, and Kelp says that the only person with a regular gig. Yeah. What? Why? Why are we calling it that? But her name's Anna Faust. So I think Anna Faust, her whole thing is that she hosts, she calls them parties, but I think they're paid events. Like she gets paid um, and the people she, who work for her get paid and they attend these parties. They probably pay like a down payment and then they get to do like, you know, sex stuff. She's like a bit of a madame, I suppose. Dun dun, they're on Anna Faust's roof is what I wrote because they're just on a roof and she's up there. So she admits to knowing Layla and uh, that Layla would attend a, few, attend a few of her BDSM parties. Um, Anna's like eight feet tall. She's like looking <laughs> down at Elliot Stabler. Oh my gosh. So this is my favorite part. Olivia goes, but was Layla part of the circuit? Like she knows the lingo and Anna's like the circuit? I know. That, <laughs> I guess so. That was so funny. I'm like, why did you like, I guess they thought that the circuit was like what they called it, but it's like, you know, the circuit, like what you call anything. Steelers like, yeah, the, the underground bondage scene. She's just like, like, chill out. <laughs> oh, God. She's like, yeah, she came to her my parties until she was banished. She was a submissive and her master got her kicked out. So they were both kicked out. The master was a Wall Street financier with a mean streak. Brank Martin. So I want to go back to the last scene because I didn't want to spoil this. Maybe she was there with Frank and Frank realized that David Kelp was the human ashtray slash uh, working. And so he, it was his idea to maybe get him roped in. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, maybe he like manipulated, he said like, hey, get him roped in because then we can like do our dumb shit. So Stabler asks, Stabler and Olivia ask what Frank did. And Anna says that Frank hurt one of her girls, one of the people that she paid to work at her parties. Dun dun! Craig's office. So for some reason, Craigland's handling this one. <laughs> It's a little sus. A little random. I mean, he doesn't do anything wrong. We're not, this is not us being like, oh God, here he goes. But like, it's just kind of weird. It's like, why would he be the one handling this? I know. Poor uh, Michelle Hurd is like dying for screen time. And they're like, no, nah, we'll let Craig and talk to this one. They're like, we're going to give you something at the end. That's all you get. <laughs> so. Take it or leave it. But so Craig is interviewing, uh, he, he ushers in this girl who is from Vietnam, as, as the script reveals. Uh, and it's the girl that, Frank hurt from Anna's party. 
The girl says that she was paid by Anna Faust to be a submissive at her party. Frank approached her at the party and asked her if she enjoyed air games. Uh, and she said no. And Cragen goes, do you mean, what did he say? He was like, high risk sex. I mean, what, such a nerd, dude. It could also apply to a lot. Like if you have sex with like, you know how people like, I'm, I'm okay, this is stupid. If, <laughs> I'm saying it like it's something people do. Um, I don't know if people do this, but like if you were having, if you got a kick out of having sex with a gun to your head, that's still high risk. <laughs> I know. We know what, we know what air games are, or at least. It's called like choking. It's autoerotic asphyxiation. Dude, I at first thought, so there's an episode of CSI with um kind of like a dominatrix scene going on. And there's this guy and his fetish was putting this hood over this woman and there are these two straws that go up her nose and he would control her breathing by putting his thumbs over the straws and he accidentally kills her and then buries her at a park and the csi guys find him and arrest him guys practice safe sex okay in all capacities in all ways ways. so she told him no uh and dismissed him at the party politely two days later frank martin calls this girl and says that she knows he knows that she's there illegally and demands that she meet him for some air games or he's going to turn her over to immigration if she doesn't agree. What a piece of shit. So she agrees to meet up with him for fear of being deported and he begins choking her during their encounter and he puts he put a belt over her neck and begins choking her and at some point she blacks out. And when she wakes up, he's gone. And that's Ugh. that's the end of the scene. Dun dun. We are back at Martin Global and the gang has busted in. What is this music? This is like very, again, it's like. It's like, it's like from a shitty 90s thriller. Right. It's again, like we think we're going to walk in here and find like something really gruesome. But really, they walk into the office is completely deserted, by the way. Um, and so they walk into Frank's individual office and it's completely cleaned out. But there's this massive pile of shredded papers. <laughs> like a comically large pile of shredded papers <laughs> in the center of the room. So at first I'm like, oh, God, they cleaned house on Martin Global and like got the fuck out of Dodge. But dun dun, Cragen's screaming as usual. Um, <laughs> real mad. Uh, and he's talking about, he says, the feds don't care about the dead girl. They just, you know, they were tipped off by the fraud and the diamonds. So I guess um, the feds heard about all this and they're the ones who cleaned out the office. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Sounds like they put a freeze on all the accounts and what have you. Cragen is hooting and hollering about how they're going to find Frank Martin. It's <laughs> <laughs> just he's hooting and hollering. And Olivia's like, we just need to follow the money or what's left of it. And Stabler, who has been, I repeat, so even tempered this whole episode is like, hey, we have the nine million dollars of diamonds. And Cragen's like, well, you guys need to go back and canvas the diamond dealers. Jeffrey rushes in for her five minutes of screen time and she's got a big pile of paperwork. Yeah. This also makes no fucking sense to me. Yeah. She has some connection to someone who told her that someone else was investigating Frank Martin and it's the Tennessee Bureau of Commerce or whatever. It's and, this it's uh, the insurance agencies for like each state. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, apparently the Tennessee Depart the Tennessee State Insurance Agency was skeptical of Frank Martin, so they set up an auditor four months ago. And sent him to New York, and uh, she has an address for this guy, so she hands it to Elliot and Liv, and dun-dun, we're at the Barbizon Hotel, which is apparently real. I looked it up, because I was like, Barbizon? Barbizon? Dun, we already dun, dealt with dun, them. Dun, dun, Barbizon. Sorry, you guys missed our dance break. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's not our fault. Um, 
So Elliot and Liv are talking to the auditor from Tennessee. I kid you not, they did not tell us this man's name until probably the last scene. Uh, because this whole scene, they don't say anything about his name. I just call him the Southern guy. Uh, well, Sometimes I call him the creepy Southern guy because he's a little creepy. He's so creepy. But his name is Frederick Tucker. So I'm going to call him Tucker because there's tons of names in here. Tennessee, the state started looking into Frank Martin because I, I had to watch this so many times. Because Martin Global had a controlling interest in Tennessee Valley Teachers Retirement Fund. And the third quarter financial showed irregularities. I want to mention that Tucker is basically doing his entire skincare routine while talking to Stabler. And I found it a little odd. It was so odd. He was shaving his face and he talks like this. It's like, he sounds like Holly Hunter. He's shaving. He's getting dressed. I was like, you couldn't have done this like before. Or, like, I know. Been like, hey, can you guys wait out here for a minute? I'm just finishing up. No, Stabler's like in the bathroom with him doing it. But he says, Frank is a weasel. We're back to weasels. <laughs> um, <laughs> Olivia has told him that Frank Martin is missing and they thought maybe he might have come across something in his investigation that would help him, that would help them find him. But even though he's been around for several months, he still can't find what he's calling like the smoking gun. Now it's Olivia's turn to get a call and she steps away and Stabler asks if there are any associates that he has come across that might be sheltering him. He's like, I've got 50 names. Stabler's like, write them down. Yeah, give me all 50. Um, so Olivia gets off the phone and apparently Munch got a call from McCune, the, da- the uh, slimy, not so slimy in our opinion, but the slimy diamond guy. And he reported that a woman called him asking to sell a large quantity of diamonds. Because he's actually a good person and they have besmirched his name. Thank you. Yeah. Justice for McEwen. Uh, So I'm guessing this is the rest of the 9 million diamonds because they still don't really fucking. How did they get the 9 million diamonds? Oh, they got them from Show Lang. Because they claim that th- what they have from the whip flogger was half a million. But now they there was a check written for 9 million. There's numbers. I'm confused. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm just fucking scared and I don't know what's happening. Dun dun. McCune's office. Would you like to take us through the scene? <laughs> <laughs> so Sholing Fu is back and she walks through the door and she asks where McEwen is. <laughs> All of a sudden Munchen's there and he has a fake Eastern European accent and he's just basically pretending to be some big shot diamond dealer. And he Um, says the thing that you said earlier that because she's like, how do you know I could how would I know I could trust you? And she's like, basically, if I make a call, I'll flood the market with so many diamonds that anything you have on you right now will be like chump change. And I was like, what? But that's what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, all of a sudden we realize Cassidy's here, too. And he's like, oh, you've never heard of John DeMunch. basically continue this fucking farce with her and it's funny we don't really we don't get to see the moment where the other shoe drops and she realizes that they're cops because suddenly we're back at the station and the jig is up and they have miss sholing fu in the interrogation room yeah that must have been so annoying when she finds out that his weak ass eastern european accent was fake (laughs) um so they ask sholing where frank martin is she's super duper duper sassy she's on like the sassy juice right now like, you're in so much trouble. Oh, yeah. You're in so much trouble and you're being this sassy. Basically fucking says, I don't know to every question they ask. Yeah, the scene is short because she just, they're like, where's Frank? I don't know. Why I would Layla know. have half a million dollars in diamonds on her person? They were a gift. From who? James Bond. 
So Munch realizes they're getting nowhere with her. He picks up her address book and he's like, you know what? I'm going to just start calling all your fucking friends and let them know you gave us their name, basically. I think is what he was kind of threatening her with. Yeah. So he opens up her planner and he sees <laughs> he sees the guy, David Kelp, from the endowment charity thing written in there like several billion times. And she's like, give that back. And they're like, no, we're the cops. Fuck you. We're the cops, you idiot. Cassidy leans over and kind of like, hey, is David Kelp your boyfriend? And she just like mean mugs him and tells him their coffee sucks. Confirmed it is her boyfriend as we go on to the next scene. But like, why the fuck would you pencil in your boyfriend in your planner? No, I just kind of know. Munch goes over to Olivia and Elliot and tells them David is all over this day book and they need to go talk to him again. And Munch is running off for a phrenology appointment that I was like, oh, maybe this will come back later. It does not. No, it's supposed to just kind of show how crazy Munch is, I guess, because phrenology, he said, is like feng shui for the brain. Yeah. And then I looked it up and it basically is that. So, but they gave him a look kind of like that eyeball mouth eyeball meme. They're both like, okay. Bye. Bye, Corey. They're, they also leave and on the way out, they do that annoying thing where they're saying something that it really means nothing. But anyway, Stabler says that Martin uses his employees for shady business dealings. Duh. And that they're using Kelp's charity as a cover up for the shady diamond purchases. And I'm, again, I wrote why, but then I realized, Paige, there's no why. There's no why yeah. in this. It's just they are just doing it. Dun dun. So we're back at the freaking New Vision Endowment nonprofit, whatever. It seems to be dark, almost like it's after office hours, but no one's there. So I don't know why they think he, he would be there. They're walking through the office, but then there's like a light on in David Kelp's office and the music starts. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're about to find a dead naked guy in here for sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely. They call his name. Um, it's a spinny chair reveal. You know, like one of those things where they walk in a room and the chair is spun around like he's facing the wall for whatever reason. Yeah, like he's just staring at the fucking diplomas on his wall being like, mm, yes. <laughs> I'm so smart. And they're like, David, David Kelp. They go to spin his chair around and surprise, surprise, he's dead. Gunshot wound. Oh, uh-oh. I'm Dr. Seuss. He's dead. Gunshot wound to the head. I thought he was going to be naked, but he was just, he's just dead. Antlers. Dun, dun. So we go back into the interrogation room with Sho Lang and she's still in there, still mad. She's probably even more mad now because she's been there for so damn long, but she's mad. It's Elliot and Stabler this time, BNS, and they walk in and they tell her that David Kelp is dead. And she begins to sorb, sorb, she begins to sob, um, but poorly, I wrote, because it really was just kind of like, uh, 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 he did it. He did it. And they're like, oh, yeah, she starts spilling her guts. Yep. So she says Frank Martin definitely did this. Uh, and that four hours ago today, as we sit here and speak, Frank showed up carrying a plastic bag full of diamonds. And he told her to cash him out and that he she would she said that he would kill David or I guess she said she said that he said, I'm going to kill your boyfriend if you don't. And then she just volunteers kind of this is another scene where people are just volunteering information to Stabler and Benson that they don't give a shit about. But she says that she met Frank a year ago when she was working at um, an exotic dance club covered in body paint. And he took a shine to her. He took a liking to her. And so he offered her a job as head of finance at Martin Global and suggested that she change her name so that she sound more exotic. I really fucking wish that's what happened to me. Yeah, her real name is, I believe, Angela Torres. And it's very funny to me because when I first was watching the show, I was like, oh, my God, they named her Sholing Fu. I was like, that sounds like some like name that some idiot white person would call an Asian character. 
And it was. He's the one who told me to name myself Sholing to give me an exotic ideal. And then Stabler and Benson look at each other kind of like, Jesus Christ, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> so Olivia interrupts her mid-sob story and, and asks where Sholing was supposed to meet up with Frank to give him the money from selling the diamonds. Dun dun. Cut to some random ass hotel. Benson, Stabler, and a few other rando cups, cups, cops, bust down the hotel door. They find Frederick Tucker, or aka the Tennessee audit guy, he's sitting there in a fucking robe with like the biggest GD spread of room service I have <laughs> ever laid eyes on. Ever laid eyes on. This is such a cliche scene. Like he's literally sitting there in a robe with like, you know, like a flower next to his like giant like turkey dish meal, you know, like it's insane. And he has like his fork and his knife in his hands, like up like a little kid, like prepared to eat. In the air. They're looking at him, kind of how we're looking at him, and they're like, uh, Tucker? And he goes, Evening. <laughs> Holly Hunter. Oh my god. Done, done. So Tucker is in the interrogation room, and Stabler strides in, and he's like, where's Frank Martin? He's like, I don't know. So then they kind of start this stupid charade where they're like, who was sleeping in the other bed? He's like, I was. They're like, the other bed. He's like, oh, me too. I always get a hotel room with two beds so that I get one good bed. What? That was like, they took way too long on that bed thing. I guess they were trying to see if Frank was sleeping in the other bed. <laughs> like two grown ass men would travel together after committing crimes. And why is he in a different hotel than the first hotel? I guess maybe Frank was never going to be there to get the diamonds from Sho Ling and she was going to have to hand them over to Tucker. Oh yeah, that is the case. Because oh, then, okay. um, is love ever wasted? Absolutely. I can tell you firsthand. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fuck off, co-star. <laughs> New York Times. How dare you? Yeah. So Tucker, they threaten him with jail time and he just breaks immediately. He's getting all sweaty. He's like, I mean, he's doing a good job as an actor, which by the way, Brittany and I looked up this actor because we both thought he looks familiar. He's done maybe two other things and that's it. I thought he was maybe like five other people, but I was like, oh yeah, he's like this go-to guy when people need like a creepy Southern gentleman. He's not. He's not. I think this is literally every memory I have of this guy is from this episode, I'm realizing. Because his cadence, everything, like, I vividly remember it, but it's only from this episode. He seems like someone who would play, like, a creepy preacher from, like, a Stephen King novel that was made into a movie. But no such thing exists, and it's not him. Tucker tells him that Frank was in the hotel room with him until about an hour before BNS showed up with that random squad of cops. Um, the day Layla died... Martin called Tucker and told him to haul his ass over to Layla's apartment. So Stabler asks if Martin needed to give Tucker Layla's address, and he goes, no. Ew. (laughs) So they somehow realize that he expected to have sex with Layla with Frank in the room? Yeah, Layla was one of the best. That's what I was expecting. I was like, did someone tell him that, or did he know from past experience? Well... Olivia says, um, she literally raises her hand, actually. Olivia goes, uh, hi, uh, wait, you expected to have sex with Layla while Frank was in the room? And Tucker says that Frank, quote, helped Layla do things right. And that that's how Frank enticed Tucker the first time. (laughs) And they roll their eyes because they're like, God, what annoying fucking story was this? Fake ass story about like a gateway drug. Like I tried it one time and I loved it, so I kept coming back. It was the first time. Basically, he describes Martin, introduced him to the BDSM world, introduced him to this girl that was going to be a submissive, 
and it was the way that she looked at me. She wanted me. And they both, like, look at each other. They're like, ugh. Yeah, he's, he's acting really gross now. He's like, I'm not usually good with women. And Olivia's like, okay, can we get to the money? Really? Thank like, she you. literally goes, okay, okay, can we talk about the money? And he's like... <laughs> So he just gives them little tidbits. So um, they're like, was that the only incentive that you're, you're a gross person? And he goes, well, that and the money. And Tucker says that he got cash, free cars, I guess trips to New York. And he says he starts to ramble again about how when I would go back to Tennessee, life would be D-U-L-L. But Layla was anything but. <laughs> Stabler goes, what happened when you entered her apartment? This whole episode has been filled with all these little storytellers who are like, this is my time to shine. I'm going to tell my story. And Benson and Stabler are like, okay, back to the diamond, back to the money, back to Layla. Can we stay focused? Right. I cannot stress to you enough, like, this scene is really funny. It would take too long if we tried to act it out. But they just need to know how the fuck they killed this girl. And he keeps being like, it was a different world than I ever knew. <laughs> Please, Ew, God. Like, how did you stop. kill this girl? Yeah. So Tucker says, he arrived at Layla's apartment, but he saw that she was dead. He ran out of there. And Stabler asks why he didn't just leave town. And Tucker says that there was some outstanding money, like a payoff. And Olivia says, the diamonds? Yours. And then Olivia goes, guess what? And the camera pans to her and she just kind of like points at herself. She goes, we have them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why that body language. She was just kind of like, hey, Me. you. She's like, I'm going to stunt on you. <laughs> yeah. I got your diamonds, you stupid fuck. You stupid, gross fuck. <laughs> so they ask this stupid, gross fuck where Frank Martin's again. <laughs> and he's like, Frank hates being without money. It reminds him of when he was growing up. And they're like, great. Okay, <laughs> who would he turn to? What do we need to know that for? Okay, he was broke in childhood. Now, they should have said, how the hell do you know that? But <laughs> yeah, but logic has fled the building and <laughs> maybe was never even here. <laughs> so, yeah, they ask him, uh, they ask who Frank would have ever turned to at this point that he trusted. And of course, everyone keeps going, he doesn't trust anyone. <laughs> but Tucker says that it was probably Amy, the redheaded office manager. So done, done. We cut to Amy Tucker's apartment and she has the ugliest bruise I have ever seen in my life. The makeup artist went to town on this woman. She went to town to buy ham. And then she went ham on that face makeup because it was a lot. I, I understand it was supposed to be fresh, but, but not that fresh. They have the actress kind of like crawling through the park. Like, they're like, Amy, who did this to you? And she's like, like putting her hand on the couch and on the chair. She's like, Ugh, Frank. <laughs> I wonder why she announced, bothered announcing, because she said that Frank showed up um, to the apartment out of the blue asking for money. And when she couldn't give him any money, he smacked the shit out of her and tore up the apartment. Like, why would she bother announcing if that's your boyfriend? Because, like, if he just showed up randomly. Like, but the way she phrased it, she's like, he just showed up here. I'm like, what's well, your fucking boyfriend? You called him your boyfriend. So. Right. And I'm not defending anything he's done, but I'm just saying, like, she's kind of acting. She's like, what do you want? It's like, uh, your boyfriend? Well, everyone at this office seems to be some level of a piece of shit. So I'm kind of like, okay. None of them have a real job. They've all only been there for a year. And they're like, here, I'm the head of finance. And I've never done this before. <laughs> um, 
Martin found in Amy's apartment an unused air ticket. And he spazzed out and even more. She goes, then he got real crazy. Um, so he held her down, made her talk to the airline, pretending that she needed to send a friend down to change the ticket because she's an invalid, is what he made her say. And they were like, okay, because it's 1999. So dun dun. Frank is at the ticket counter. He's trying to upgrade his ticket to first class, but his credit cards aren't working. So then BNS show up right behind him. And they're like, do you want a lift? And he's like, oh, would you? So I wrote here, what the fuck is going on? Does he want to get out? Like, what is he escaping from then? Yeah, if he thinks, like, he sees them. He's not afraid at all. He's like, oh, like, he's startled. But he's not like, oh, you got me. He's like, oh, hey, guys. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll take a ride. I'm Right. Away from the airport? It's going to be in a bit of a pickle. But yeah, I'll come with you guys. Yeah, it's like you were so quick to get out of Dodge, but now the cops show up and he's like, oh, would you give me a lift? It's like lift back to New York City that you were just trying to flee. Okay. But then I wrote, maybe it's because the feds are after him and not SVU. Anyway, everyone's losing it at this point. So, (laughs) (laughs) dun dun. They're in the bullpen with Frank. Um, He's sitting in a chair near Elliot. They're playing it, like, very fucking cool. Like, almost, like, too cool here. I'm not really even sure what the spiel is supposed to be. (laughs) It's, yeah. Like, Olivia comes over with, like, three containers of lunches, and she's handing them out. And they're kind of lulling him into this false sense of security. Um, They're like, yeah, we just need to, those credit cards you were using, we just need to make sure they're authorized. Which, I mean, we know they are, because it's, like, got your company name on them. And he's kind of wishy-washy. He's like... Well, who knows who gets into your, like, private affairs these days? My ex, who knows? Who knows who could have been using those credit cards? Yeah, and he kind of implies that the company is no longer his, so it kind of sounds like the the feds did take it back over or something um, and shut off all his credit cards. <laughs> but yeah, so Olivia and Stabler are passing sandwiches back and forth and made me want a sandwich so bad. Stabler says, he's like, yeah, we wouldn't normally have been involved in this case with Layla, except for, you know, there was like a financial aspect to it. So we had to get involved. I'm like, that's a lie, because that makes no sense. But it's like the other way around. But (laughs) yeah, legitimately. (laughs) (laughs) So then Olivia chimes in and says that Tucker, the Tennessee audit guy, has this crazy story about Frank that she told that he told Stabler and her and then they start to giggle. They're both like, (laughs) crazy story. (laughs) It's like it's. They have like a mouthful of turkey sandwich and they're both like, Mwah. They're like and Frank is like, ah, ha, 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 Freddy's a fucking liar. Yeah, he just kind of goes, he goes, ha, ha, yeah, well, Freddy's a liar. <laughs> like everyone's just like giggling. All just like giggling and staring at each other with her eyes wide. It's so crazy. So then Stabler goes, what did he call you that night? And Frank's like, what? Who? And he goes, Freddy. And he's like, when? And he's like, and then Stable goes, who? What? When? We should hire this guy. And it's like more unhinged. <laughs> Giggling. <laughs> Giggling. And then Freddy goes, or Frank uh, Martin goes, all right, I'm going to have to call my lawyer. And Good call. Dun, dun. We cut to Cragen's office. And so Amy's in there with Cragen, Munch, and Cassidy. And she's afraid of getting in trouble because of her involvement in the bullshit. <laughs> And Kraken's like, tell us your story, we'll give you full immunity. Also, he's probably thinking, I don't want to hear any more bullshit about this place, so just tell us. Can he decide that? Isn't that more for, like, the district attorney to decide? So Amy is a smart bitch. She met Frank at happy hour, and she and her friends would go to this particular bar for the free drinks and try to get jobs from hammered executives, which I think is brilliant. I see you, ma'am. I do it, too, all the time. So she says Martin was never hammered. And she starts talking about his predilections, 
but says he never choked her. She, oh God. Oh my God. She says she isn't into BDSM beyond what she calls recreational spankies. Grow up. Go. Grow I would have been like immunity up. pulled. You're going to jail. Right. Right. No, because she literally, she was like, I'm into recreational spankies. And she kind of says it like that. And I'm like, you're a grown ass woman. She said Frank quickly lost interest. And maybe he lost interest because she used the word recreational spankies. He was like, yeah, mm, maybe you guys were getting intimate. And you started going, give me spankies, Frank. Give me spankies. And he was like, mm. he's like, oh, wow. Sorry, I'm into like girls like who do other things. And she was like, eh, he <laughs> He was an into me because I didn't want to do that. <laughs> it's yeah. not your offensive personality. She starts to launch into how Frank is like a very fucking shitty, crazy person. And she says that Frank once told her about how he and his homeboy, Tucker from Tennessee, would tie farm girls to trees in the woods and just sit there laughing as they watched them struggle. So everyone in the room just goes, uh, what? what the and Craig says, Martin's from Tennessee, too. And she's like, yeah. So now we know why dumb Tucker was like, oh, he doesn't like being broke. Reminds him of childhood. (laughs) It's like, okay. Frank Martin and Frederick Tucker knew each other from childhood back home in Tennessee. They would, yeah, do this thing where they would kidnap women, tie them to trees in the woods, and just like laugh at them, allegedly, and that they would never get in trouble because they were minors. And it didn't really matter because they were, she said other words, and I'm not going to repeat, but women of color. And so Munch... Hops in and says, surely there's a part where he let them go instead of leaving them there to die of exposure and humiliation. And no one confirms. This is not addressed, which is very troubling. Wrote it into the script. They wrote it into the script and then they didn't answer the question. I know, because now I'm a little concerned. Yeah, I mean, there's a I, lot. Little, I was concerned before. Now I'm deeply concerned. Cragen goes, is basically like, well, that sucks, but this doesn't help us with Layla's murder. <laughs> Dead ass, I wrote. So Craig basically said he's sorry to hear that, but it doesn't help them with Layla's murder. <laughs> I mean, it kind like, of does. This will and whips out some papers. But no, it. Do- I mean, it does. It speaks to the fact that these fuckers are into bondage and control and being pieces of shit. But yes, Amy pulls out a stack of papers, hands them to Craigan, and dun dun interrogation room. Sabre gets in Martin's face and shows him the papers, which turn out to be call logs. And this kind of makes no sense, but anyway. Um, Stabler says, you called Tucker at 822. And Frank says, no, he did not call Tucker. Tucker called him. This never came up before. This is just a random New addition. Olivia decides to like flex her like stand-up comedian skills here. She's like, this isn't a farm, but you are in some deep horse manure. Good job, Olivia. Good job. She's like, he called you at 8.22 p.m. NYC time. And I'm like, (laughs) Olivia, what is happening? She's had enough. She goes, if everyone else wants to fucking trauma dub on me. So Frank continues trying to say that these were all business calls. And Stabler finally does some light police brutality and pushes him into his seat. And Frank's like, don't get nasty with me. And Olivia just goes on a tirade at him about all the nasty things he's done. And Ducker, once again, is like, I'm not talking anymore until I can speak to my lawyer. And Stabler dunks on him. He's like, well, that's awkward. You called him three hours ago, and he hasn't returned your call. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Martin looks like he's about to cry. And Olivia goes, you choked her. And he says, no, Tucker did. Stabler asks if it was because of the stolen diamonds. And Martin says that they didn't even know about the stolen diamonds. And this was, quote, just for kicks. Ugh. Ugh. So then Martin says that he was doing, Layla, more doing, 
And that while he was having sex with Layla, Tucker started like massaging and squeezing her neck. Um, And she was fine with it at first, but then her eyes said, stop. And Olivia goes, why didn't he? Frank is like, well, he gets off on seeing how far he can go. And this time he went all the way. Okay, I know. And uh, so anyway, done, done. So in the other interrogation room, Jeffries is outside and she's watching um, as Munch and Cassidy berate Tucker, basically, at this point, they're just berating. <laughs> and I say that not in his defense, like they're just flat out berating him. So they tell him that they know about the girls in the woods from back in Tennessee and Tucker chuckles and says that that was nothing. He's lost all his damn scruples. He tries to sit down in his chair and Cassidy, in a very attractive moment, mm. grabs the chair before he can sit down and throws it across the room. Yes, suddenly not okay with racism, apparently. Um, So Munch asks why Tucker would think that torturing girls was nothing, and Tucker says that it wasn't torture, but it broke the Borden. And then Jeffries throws the door open, and if looks could kill, this guy would be a dickless corpse in a pile of mud. (laughs) But he he looks at her and he goes, you're not a public defender. And she, you know, he goes, you're not a public defender. And she gets in his face. She goes, no, I'm Detective Jeffries. I only came to see the redneck under the facade of the New South. Hmm. Now I'm kind of sorry I did. And she smiles at him. And then she's like, yeah, oh, Martin rolled on him. Peace. Deuces. Drops her mic and walks out. And Munch slams this notepad down in front of him. And he's like, you might want to write down your statement, but it might not do any good. Sorry, now I'm Southern. And Munch tells Tucker in a very fancy way that he's been Mirandized and there's no way out and that he might as well write down a statement because it could potentially help him in the court of law if a court, if a judge would actually grant him some leniency. So Tucker looks at Cassidy and goes, what the hell's he talking about, son? <laughs> oh, classic. And Cassidy goes, that means you and Frank are going to hang. Executive producer, Dick Wolf. um so we really never find out what happened we don't know who's telling the truth um basically i mean it doesn't really matter because these guys are both pieces of shit yeah it's i you know how you always like come up with what you think really happened even though nothing actually happened (laughs) yes because nothing did yeah i think frank did it i think frank he's the one who likes to choke girls with belts i agree I think that Frank did it and that he called Tucker over to help him clean up the mess because they're BFFs from back home. So I have a question. Um, is it just a coincidence that Tennessee sent Tucker? Maybe he requested to be on Frank's case, like after he saw Martin Global. Oh. I but mean, still, it's just a really, it's like, I mean, it probably, Frank probably didn't have any issues starting whatever endowments or whatever in um Tennessee because of his connections there and also because of his connection to the insurance place but it is pretty convenient yeah so I'm sure the writers were like oh, I'm sure there's like some way this could have happened and we'll let the dumb audience figure it out I'm too stupid for that I need it spelled out for me we I we often need things spelled out for us after we end these episodes because again I'm like and I just chalked it up to, I wrote, what was Martin Global's point? Like, what what did they do? And I decided it was nothing and everyone there had a fake job. You're pretty. Want a job? Yeah. Let's just invest in diamonds. I know, apparently. And how I, I have questions. Uh, there are no answers to them. 
Once you let go of the details, like I haven't been doing that in the last like nine episodes, but once you just let go and say like, hey, you know what? Those people were all just monkeys behind a desk. Like, I will say, in my opinion, this was not a good episode, but it was a fun episode. I had fun. I think it's a good episode, but you're right. It's like, I'm not <laughs> like, it's not among my favorites, but it was like easier to recap than I thought it would be. Yeah. No, I, the, my first watch through, I was like, how the hell am I going to assets, diamonds, endowments? What the fuck? And then I was like, all right, once I wrote it down, I'm like, oh, this makes a little more sense in that it's not supposed to make sense. Well, thanks so much for joining us, squad, where we'll see you next week for season one, episode 10, Closure. Thank you, guys. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.